I've had a question asked in a small group before in leadership. That is, do you, hey, do you think everybody that's in the church is, is a leader of the church? Or do you think that everybody can be a leader? The scripture talks about how there are specific leadership gifts given to the church. If you guys have that question asked to you in a small group setting, how do you answer that? Can everybody be a leader? I think it goes back to those leadership principles are not just for leaders, I think. I mean, when you talk about what makes a great leader, uh, oftentimes it's character. It's practical day-to-day organization, lifestyle. Like, it's so broad. Now, immediately when we say, you know, leadership in the church, we we immediately tend to to think of the higher-ranking positions, right? Like maybe starting like a Sunday school teacher, deacons, elders, pastors, uh, staff, those kind of things. Uh, but but yeah, it, I mean, it's example. I mean, it's uh, it's leading by example. Amen, amen. So, hey, that was a clip, as a video clip from our audio podcast uh, that we started. Uh, just, it's, I host that. Uh, it'll be coming out every, uh, the first Monday of every month. It actually launched this month on, as, as it said in the video, Google, Spotify, Amazon Music, Apple. Apple's really annoying to deal with. I don't know if y'all know that or not. Which I'm an Android guy, so it's not easy. It's not hard for me to say that. But, um, but we're, we're trying to get on Apple uh, Podcasts as well. But um, I host that conversation. It's a conversation about leadership uh, with uh, Alan, who's our North Campus pastor in Elkmont. And it's also with uh, Andy John, who's our, our main campus pastor in Athens. And so we're going to be bringing in key leaders uh, from North Alabama to come in and to be a part of uh, the conversation with us about leadership. And so we've already recorded a couple of those. Can't wait for you guys to, to check those out. But um, I would just encourage you to – it's called Bottom Shelf Leadership Podcast. Um, the reason we call it that, you can Google that or look that up. But um, we're trying to take these leadership principles that oftentimes – if you've ever been to a leadership conference, everyone tries to talk over your head because that makes them sound smarter. What we're trying to do is take those high, those leadership principles that everybody tries to put up here and just put it down where we can all understand it. And so that's what we're going to be doing. Uh, it'll be really cool. And so in light of that, uh, one of the things that we wanted to do was to begin, uh, or I, I wanted to, we're not doing this at all three campuses by any means, but um, I was already working on a leadership series. And so we're going to be doing that uh, this month, the rest of the month of August, we're going to be walking through uh, what leadership looks like. And so that'll be really, really cool. Um, the, today, we're going to be starting with leadership uh, leadership origin. So where where is the origin for leadership? Where does it come from? Um, that's today. Next week, we're going to look at some general leadership principles, and then we'll end the month by looking at what leadership in the church is supposed to look like. So I'm praying that God uses this series uh, to to get us all leading more passionately and in a more Christ-like way. So um, Genesis 1 is where we're going to be today. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. Can you guys bring the house lights up so everybody can see there? Um, I want you all to make sure I'm not lying to you on the text today, okay? Um, but we're going to be we're going to be walking through Genesis one, beginning in verse twenty six. Uh, I believe we're going to see the origin of leadership today. Uh, it's hard to look at an origin of a theme through the Bible and not go to Genesis one or two or three, and so that's where we're going to be. Genesis one, beginning in verse twenty six. So I want to read these three verses. I'm going to pray, and then we'll come back and kind of start breaking this down. Okay, Genesis one twenty six to twenty eight. The Lord, the word of the Lord says this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you, God, for the opportunity to open up your word. Uh, God, I pray um, that, uh, that, God, you would guard uh, my heart and my mouth, God, as I proclaim the truths of your word today. God, give us eyes and, and ears to see and hear the truths of your word. And, uh, God, may they come alive in our, our lives this week as we seek to live for you. Uh, God, I, I pray that ultimately, God, more than we learn about ourselves today, that we learn about who you are and your character and your nature and uh, that we follow you more closely. Uh, we, we, teach, we ask you to teach us to know you today and that uh, you would be with us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So we do start group stuff this week, and you're going to hear Kenny say that about 14 times during announcements at the end of the, at the, end of the service. Um, but we're going to be starting our group stuff this Wednesday night. One of the courses that we offer, the only one that's offered all the time, is our foundations. And this is a year-long curriculum where we walk through Old Testament 101. We walk through what that looks like. Then we walk through the New Testament in a little bit of shorter time. And then this fall, we're actually offering the third part of that, which is our Discipleship 101, which is where we walk through what does it basically look like to be a Christian? What are the, the spiritual disciplines? What does it look like daily um, to be a Christian? And so um, that's a, it's been about two years in the making to kind of get that curriculum ready to, to present it. And we, when, we were going, when we were first writing the Old Testament curriculum, we'd invited Jerry and Kim Davis, who teach that now. I was teaching through it, and I invited them in to be a part of that. And uh, man, we were just studying. Like, I didn't have a plan, really. I know that shocks you. Why are y'all laughing? Um, but we didn't have much of a plan. We just sat down with the Bible and said, okay, let's start. <laughs> let's hope it finishes in around 14 weeks. And uh, so as we were moving through the Old Testament, one of the things that stood out to me and stood out to the Davises who were in the group that we'd invited to be a part of um, as we began to see this idea of the image of God, being made in the image of God, was something that just kept coming up. As we were studying through the Old Testament, we kept seeing what we call hyperlinks here at East, like these little hyperlinks that were pointing back to the image of God all the way through. Even as we studied the New Testament the next semester, we kept seeing all this. And so the image of God is one of the weightiest terms in the whole Bible, if you, if you catch what I'm saying. If you popped it, if you took a pen and you could pop the word, it would just blow up because there's so much behind this word. And so you could take it a bunch of different directions. But today I want to look at it. Uh, I want to hone in on leadership in regards to this, because I believe at its core, being an image bearer of God looks like leading. And that ain't my idea. It's the Bible's idea. This isn't the Bible. These are my notes. It's the Bible's idea. That's what I meant to hold up. All right. Um, so let's, let me give you point number one. If you're a note taker, these are for you. Y'all know that. Uh, number one, image bearers lead. Image bearers lead. And so we see it right in the text. There's a certain amount of God-given leadership that we've taken on as human beings from the very beginning. Look at verse 26. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God creates these creatures uniquely to bear his own image. And what is the first verb that he puts before him to do? Crowd participation. Rule. He says rule. This is the very first thing he says to rule. To rule what? Still crowd participation part. Fishes? 
Birds of the sky. Hey, look, 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 look. Every living thing. When Any time in the Bible where you see fish, birds, and living creatures, that's the author's way of saying everything. Okay, all of it. That's what's going on. So all of creation. So God gives these first humans. He says, You're made, I'm making you in my image. And part of that image is to rule all of creation, every living thing on earth. And so baked into this idea of being an image bearer is leadership. God didn't create. Oftentimes we say God created, God created creation for us to enjoy. Don't we say that? That's why it's so beautiful. God gave it to you to enjoy. Actually, no, God gave it to you to rule and to manage and to lead. That's a more biblical idea because he gave some level of authority over creation to Adam and Eve. Before sin entered the world, Adam and Eve were to rule over creation. Now, before you start getting a big head and you're like, yeah, that's right. I'm going to go home and just chop down trees, burn stuff. We're going to destroy. We're going to do whatever we want because we in charge, right? Okay. Hold on just a second. Let's make sure we're seeing the whole biblical idea of what's going on. Not that it's bad to cut trees down. That wasn't a stance. Sorry, whatever. Change the subject. But before we even before we take all the authority on our own shoulders, let me ask you a question that I know you'll know the answer to without us even looking at a biblical text to point to. Who's in charge of creation ultimately? Got it. See, I didn't have to tell you. We didn't have to look at a text. Y'all know that. Because God created everything by His Word. And then we know through the Scriptures that He continues to sustain everything. Everything continues in existence the way it is because God is continuing to sustain it. Now, if you need help of... Oftentimes we think of God as a distant God because if I were God, I'd be doing a lot better things than like watching the earth. But Job, if you don't know this whole story of Job, it's a long book and we can easy to get lost and not finish the book of Job when you're studying. But I'm telling you, if you've never made it to the end of Job, you've missed out on a lot of the beauty of who God is. And so I want to share with you uh, Job 38 and 39, just some clips of it. Because these are some of the biggest mic drop moments that God has throughout the whole scripture. You know what I mean by mic drop moment? It's where God just says something and then just steps back and says, say something. Like, you don't have anything to say in this moment. Watch this. Uh, well, let me tell you, if you don't know about Job, uh, Job, uh, Satan comes and attacks Job in the most terrible ways. He takes his family, he takes his wealth, he takes his health. And then there's this ongoing conversation the whole time between Job, his wife, and a few of their friends. And the question on the table is, does God know what he's doing? Like, is God worthy to be in charge? Like, does, is he the one that's in charge? Or is, is all the stuff that's happening to me my fault? Whose fault is it? And Job 38 is where God have just puts his foot down and has had enough. It says this in verse 1. The Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. He says, Who is this who obscures my counsel with ignorant words? Job, get ready to answer me like a man. When I question you, you will inform me. Where were you when I established the earth? Tell me if you have any understanding. Who fixed its dimensions? Certainly you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Do you know what supports its foundation or who laid its cornerstone? I don't know if you've ever been asked a lot of rhetorical questions by someone you love. The worst thing you can do is try to answer it when they're on a roll. Job knew. Just, okay, I'm just going to let it go. And then he keeps going, though. 
Verse 8, who enclosed the sea behind doors when it burst from the womb? I made the cloud its garment, total darkness its blanket, when I determined its boundaries and put its bars and doors in place, when I declared, you may come this far, but no further, your proud waves stop here. In verse 19, one of my favorites. Verse 19, God asked Job, where is the road to the home of light? Do you know where light comes from? Do you know where darkness lives so that you could lead it back to its border? Are you familiar with the paths to the home of darkness? Don't you know? You were already born. You've lived so long. If you don't catch the sarcasm in that end. Like, Job, you've been around a long time, man. Surely you know that, right? Because you're so smart. And then God goes on from here to talk about constellations in the sky. He talks about how he's in control of weather. He talks about the wisdom that he gives to men, the feeding of ravens, the birth of baby mountain goats, the taming of the wildest animals, hawks, horses, eagles, goes on and on and on and on. All the while, God's going on this moment. And then at the end, Job answers this way in Job 40, just to tie a bow on it and show you. Job got the point. He begins with, I am so insignificant. How can I answer you? I place my hand over my mouth. Good answer, Job. Good answer. Now, I read all that and go through all that just to ask the question, now, who rules over creation? God. Like, ultimately, God does. He makes that abundantly clear throughout the rest of Scripture. He is in charge. But yet back in Genesis 1, God gives the right to humans to rule as well. Now listen, this is crucial for your understanding of leadership in general. If Next week we're going to talk about some leadership principles. If you don't grasp this one thing, next week you'll, you'll miss it. This one thing. God shares His authority with us. Meaning, if you, are, if, you, if you experience any sort of leadership, if anyone looks to you at all, at any point during any day for leadership, you didn't earn that. It is given to you by God. And we've got to recognize that, that leadership in itself comes from God, and it is by His own choice. He is sharing authority with us. The Bible makes that clear, that leadership is given by God, and it's not given because we deserved it or earned it. It's out of His mercy and grace. And if it's not our authority to begin with, and it's been given to us as a gift, and does that mean, does that change how we get to use it or flex it? Just nod your head. I got two children, eight and six. They have two rooms that are absolutely jam-packed with toys. Do you know how many toys my children bought themselves? Depends on who you ask. Depends on who you ask. If you ask mom and dad, zero. Absolutely zero. And so when my children come to me with broken toys because they were rough with them, and they say, well, it's my toy, dad. What do I say? No, it's not. You don't actually have any toys, son. I don't know why I'm singling him out. <laughs> My daughter takes better care of her stuff. Like, it's, it's, it's not your toy. Because you, hey, well, then go buy another one. Well, I don't have any money. Bingo. Right? Because I bought the first one. And this is the deal. This is the deal. 
if God, if the leadership that you and I get to enjoy belongs to God to begin with, and you and I don't get to have a say in how it is flexed and used. And way too many Christians, and we're going to talk about what it looks like, but way too many Christians are enjoying the blessings of leadership but not doing it God's way. Too many of us as believers, we've been given this image of God. Even if you don't think of yourself as a leader, we've been tasked to take part in God, to show the image of God to other people, to bear his image in the world, and yet we want to do it our way instead of listening to God. And God's up there going, you didn't buy it. It's not yours to begin with. It's mine. And so we've got to begin to ask the question, if we've been tasked to lead in God's creation, but he's the one that gave us that, then we've got to figure out how does he want us to lead. Well, the good news is Genesis 1 is not over. And I believe, and then it goes on in Genesis 2. I believe there's some things for us to look at. So we've got to pay attention to the details. So point number two is this. What does it look like for an image bearer to lead? Image bearers replicate. Image bearers replicate. Look at the text. Genesis 1, 28. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God says, Be fruitful and multiply, humans. Now, we've got to see this in context, though, okay? Put yourself there in the garden as a grasshopper or something. We're watching Adam and Eve. Now, here's what you need to know. Adam and Eve were placed in a garden. Adam and Eve were placed in a garden. That's what the Bible tells us. That garden was in a place called Eden. And all we know about Eden is the Bible says it was in the east. That's all we get, okay? So we can speculate about what that means. We can look at the the rivers that it mentions. But in the end of the day, the Bible tells us they were in a garden, which was in Eden, which was in the east. This is where Adam and Eve enjoyed not only their leadership role over creation, but also the presence of God. And so here you have God's people living under God's reign. That's what we here at East call a kingdom image. Anytime we see God's people living under God's reign, that's what the Bible calls the kingdom of God. And so Eden very much represents the kingdom of God here. Adam and Eve, what were they to do? They were to fill Eden with life. How are they going to do that? Not too graphic, but how are they to do that? Make babies. It's only them. That's what they're to do, to make babies. This is the only way they were going to multiply. Make babies. So they were to raise their children, have children, and then raise them as image bearers who also would fulfill the leadership God had given them, but also who will follow and love God as well. We know that sin wrecked that plan and they were kicked out of the garden. They felt the distance from God that they had not yet felt. And then things began to change, okay? But let's play a what if. Let's play a what if game. Use a little uh, creativity in our, in our hearts and minds here. What if Adam and Eve had faithfully obeyed God without sin? Okay, so they would have had children. And then those children would have had children. And those children would have had children and children and children and children. Now, tell me this. How tight's that garden getting? Uh, it's getting tight. <laughs> some of y'all, like, some, we had to live with, uh, oh, this is, this is going to open some can of worms, but um, we had to live with my mom and dad one time while we were in between houses. We were, we were buying a foreclosure house and going to fix it up and, you know, legal stuff. 
so it didn't close on time. So we had to move in with my mom and dad, and they're going to watch this, and I love y'all. But, like, it's tough to move in with somebody else, isn't it? It can be tough. I'm used to having my space, and then it's gone. <laughs> I went from a house to a room, right? And so um, the garden, if, 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 if all that happened, if Adam and Eve, if there's just generations of their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren now live in sin isn't in the world, so nobody's dying, okay? So think about that. How crowded is the garden getting? So two, one of two things is going to happen. I don't know, there's probably not the first thing. The, the thing that's got to happen is the garden has to expand. Am I crazy? Can y'all hang in with me? Are you hanging with me creatively, creatively here? The garden must expand. And as, as, as creation, as human beings continue to multiply and grow and grow and grow, it makes sense that in this fictitious world we're playing here, if everyone continues to be obedient it's going to either get really, really crowded or it's going to have to expand. Their, the obedience and the call of God on their life would lead to an increase in the kingdom of God, possibly to the point that the Eden ideal, this, this world in which God intended, would cover the entire earth. Do you see that? Now, I can't imagine other than, like I don't know what else God meant for Adam and Eve, than that. To live in the garden, to multiply, fill the earth. Not just fill the garden, but to fill the earth. This, this, this beautiful thing that God created was in desired to expand beyond that. For Adam and Eve, growing the kingdom looked like having babies who had babies who had babies because everyone was following Jesus. Generations of families that would come from Adam and Eve, it was all accomplished through procreation, but sin entered the world, Right? And this changed everything. Simply having babies and raising them to love God was no longer the only answer to multiply and fill the earth. You see this? Because now you have a chance to win those who are outside the kingdom. When Adam and Eve began, there was nobody inside, there was nobody outside the garden. Now we have we have this, this, this people of God, and we see it all through the rest of the Scripture. The, the people of Israel, yes, God says, yes, you're a family. Yes, you're here together, and you're supposed to have babies, and you're supposed to like, make more Israelites. But at the same time, you're supposed to be open to those who are outside the kingdom. We see it as early as Exodus 12. When the people of God are leaving Egypt, all these plagues that God brings on Egypt, and the people of God are leaving on their way to the land that He has promised them. You know who was with them? Some Egyptians. There's a mixed crowd that's leaving, is what the scripture tells us. Which most scholars believe it's, it's because there's Egyptians that are leaving. There's Egyptians that are going, dude, did y'all just see what happened? Did y'all see the Nile turn to blood? Did you see all those frogs, all those gnats, all this stuff? Pharaoh's wrong. We're going with them. <laughs> this God is real. When they saw the Red Sea parted, they're, they're jumping in line, right? Like they wanted to go with them because they had seen the, 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 uh, they had seen God in a real way. He had won them over. And so the, the, the kingdom of God is expanding beyond just making babies. It's now including people. And God tells the Israelites to accept these people that are outside. This is Exodus 12. He tells them to accept them through the act of circumcision. That was the entrance level. Okay, That was happening to the boys, the Israelite boys at a young age, eight days. 
We're going to circumcise them because that's going to set them apart. These families that were coming in from the outside, he was asking, this is going to be important. Don't think, why is he focused on this? But the people from the outside were called in. That's all God said. Circumcise them. And then he says in Leviticus, which happens not too long after that, he said, and love them well. So these people that are outside, he's saying, bring them in and treat them well. You see, image bearers, after the sin in the garden, are to lead under God's authority. And a big part of that leadership is replication. The image that we are now bearing as followers of Christ, we want others to bear as well. We want to see more people join us in this Eden in this kingdom world, in this life with God, living under God's reign, God's people living under God's reign. And we know this occurs now, this side of the cross, by leading people to Jesus as their Savior. And this is what we've got to be about. As the people of God, we must be about leading other people to trust in Jesus as their Savior. This is the way we replicate. Yes, the baby thing still works, okay? That's still multiplication, but we've also got to look outside and bring people in, showing them how to trust in Jesus. And it isn't just for church leaders. Imagine how, how it would thwart and slow down the kingdom expansion of God if it were only pastors who could lead people to Jesus. Boy, we're in trouble. There ain't, ain't that many of us in the world. There's so many more Christians. And so the call is on every image bearer to join in this effort to multiply I read a leadership book this week, uh, or the last couple of weeks, really, in, in preparation for this series, and I thought this quote was worth just sharing with you. Uh, can you imagine if God's people led churches, companies, government, and community service all over your city the same way God leads his kingdom? What an incredible difference it would make if believing pastors, doctors, educators, politicians, teachers, and government workers led with Christ's kingdom in mind. Man, that's good stuff. Because you have been changed by Jesus Christ, we now get to pursue this life as an image bearer. And bearing that image means seeking to lead others, influence the lives of others. And seeking to lead others for an image bearer has to involve the desire of, for replication. More image bearers in the kingdom of God. I want to show you one last thing, number three. Image bearers cultivate. Image bearers cultivate. Look again at the text, verse 28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Subdue it. That's a, that's a strange word that it's, it maybe needs a little bit more clarity, at least in my mind. So when we look forward to Genesis 2, verse 15, God's speaking there again of, of these, these humans that he created, and it says that the Lord God took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. You see, man was given the task to work the garden. This is part of what it meant to subdue it, literally to cultivate it. And y'all know how awesome my farmer analogies always work. I'm going to try again. <laughs> when farmers cultivate, they do so by getting their hands in the dirt or machinery. They have to work the ground. And they have to do work in the garden so that there is fruit. This was part of what it looked like for humanity to be an image bearer. Just as God had taken the dust of the ground and formed man, now man too is forming fruit for himself from the ground. The cultivation of the ground continues today, like literally, like we're still needing nourishment from the ground, but there was certainly more to it than that. 
Throughout the Bible, God calls his image bearers to come alongside him in the cultivation of human hearts for his glory as well, not just the ground. In the Old Testament with the nation of Israel, let's go back to the analogy where they're bringing in these outsiders. Right? They're bringing them in. What was the entry? Circumcision. Right? And how weird it would be to bring them in, perform that ritual act, and then leave them alone. Like, hey, what was that about? <laughs> like, that's weird. But that's not what's going on. In the Old Testament, they would, have, they would have not only invited them in, went through that ritual process, they would have also asked them to be a part and to witness sacrifices. They would have witnessed the festivals, all the things that point to loving God more passionately. They were inviting them in to view those things. Israel didn't just go through the ritual with the households who wanted to be part of God's people. They taught them, they spent time with them, listen, and they invited them in to the daily life of following Yahweh. In church, nothing's changed for God's people. The same task as image bearers today doesn't end with your neighbor praying a prayer of repentance and getting baptized. That's a good thing, but like, that's not it. It's not over. Your leadership and your investment in them is not over. Some of your neighbors, coworkers, friends, and family have already done that. What does it look like to cultivate in their lives? To lead them well. This idea of cultivating, it's investing in them, working with them to help them grow and mature and bear, thru, bear fruit. We not, we not only want people to be in Eden, we not only want them to be accepted into the kingdom of God. Listen, we want them to thrive here. That's the key. We not only want them in here, we want them to thrive here. And this is what led me as I was just studying through this and trying to make sense of Genesis 1, 26 and 28 in light of what we're talking about. And it led me to connect Genesis 1 and 2 to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, which you've heard me talk about, preach about, whatever. That's what it says. Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Just so that you don't think I'm crazy, let's walk back through it slowly. Jesus says at the beginning, "What I am, I am what? I am the one with authority. But what does Jesus do? He says, I'm the one with authority, but then he gives it. He gives it right back out. Just as we see in Genesis 1, God speaks all this into existence. I have all authority, but I'm giving it to you. Jesus calls his disciples and in turn calls us to lead under my authority. And then he says, with that authority, the first verb in the thing is make disciples. What does that mean? It means to replicate in others what you have had happen to you. Bring people into the kingdom of God. Make disciples. See people. Trust in Jesus Christ. And then he says, baptize them and then teach them everything I have taught. What is that? That's cultivation. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I don't think I'm making this stuff up that Genesis 1, 26 to 28 very much looks like the, the call of Christ on our lives as the church today. This is a leadership that Christ has called all of his followers to fill. And I know what some of you are thinking, but he, I'm not a leader. And, well, Christ would argue with you. Not me. I mean, I'll argue with you too, but 
I believe what Christ is saying here in the text is that we've all been called to make disciples, which means leading and investing in others. You're not going to make a disciple unless you lead someone, unless you influence someone, unless you invest in someone. There are lots of leaders in the world, some who even have trusted in the name of Jesus and claimed that banner, who simply want to further their platform. They want to climb the ladder. They want to feel powerful. Guys, it cannot be so. It cannot be so for those of us who have trusted in Jesus. Leadership for the believer, listen to me, is not ultimately task-oriented. Okay, leadership for the believer is not task-oriented. It's people-oriented. It has to be. I don't care. Your, your boss, your whoever works over you has expectations for you, and there will be tasks included in that, but you as a leader must think about the image of God principle. As a leader, you've got to be thinking that these are people. Um, you're, not just, you're not just working over people, but working with people to help them grow and mature more into Christ's image. And it goes for you whether you're a supervisor at a government contract, you're a school teacher, you're a stay-at-home mom, you are in a leadership role to some regard, and your task is to lead, to replicate, and cultivate. None of us get a pass. And so the question that was on my heart that God threw in, threw in my face spiritually, and I want to turn and throw it in yours because that's what we do as pastors, share with you what I've been dealing with all week. What are you doing with the leadership God has already given you? What are you doing with the, the platform, the leadership, the, the influence in others' lives that God has given you now? And I'll be honest. For a lot of my life, I've been in this first category. For some of us, we're just coasting through life, realizing, not realizing, that the call of God is to lead as image bearers. A lot of my life has been spent expecting someone else to lead, expecting someone else to influence my neighbors, my family, my friends, my coworkers. Well, coasting's done according to Scripture today. If you didn't know it when you came in, you do now. God's call on your life as an image bearer, having trusted in Jesus, is now to look around at the people who are in your circle of influence and start looking for ways to lead them through replication and cultivation. Others of you, you don't have a problem thinking of yourself as a leader because, like, you get paid to be one. <laughs> Some of you, you have a job in which it's clear, Right? because you're a supervisor or whatever, but let me ask you, even if other people look to you as a leader, I want to ask you biblically, are you leading as an image bearer or are you leading according to some worldly standard? Is your only goal as a leader to accomplish the task? Are your subordinates simply pawns in your career path or are they people who need to know the power of Christ in your life? who need to become image bearers and be cultivated so that they too can bear fruit. Commit today, church. If that's you, commit to lead different today. And some of you are probably in the third category, and you're like, I don't know about this Jesus stuff. You may not even be a believer yet. You're not replicating and cultivating the way the Scripture says because the image of God is not yet in you. So you can't cultivate it in someone else. Today, we would love to help you see that Jesus 
died on the cross for your sins so that you can be transformed by him and be made into his image so that then you can make more image bearers for the kingdom of God. See, after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, Paul, who was one of Jesus' followers that came later after his ascension, Paul would dwell on this idea of image bearing in relation to Jesus, and he wrote this to a church. This is Colossians 1, 15 through 20. It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the, the true image bearer, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness, all the fullness of God dwelling in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Today, if you're not a believer, it's because you've ignored the call of God to be a true image bearer. And today you can trust in the shed blood of the, the true and perfect image bearer named Jesus, the one who perfectly bore the image even though you and I blow it. He died on the cross to restore you into that image that God intended. And without him, everything we have talked about today is impossible for you. Leading, replicating, cultivating, none of that is impossible biblically until we have first been made in the image of Christ through repentance and faith. We're going to have to sing one more song. And uh, this is, uh, uh, it'll be a new song, uh, but it will encourage you to sing along with it. Um, but it's, uh, it's an opportunity for you to respond however God may lead you. The, the altar will be open uh, for you to come and pray. Man, if God's spoken to you about, about some leadership problems, the way you're leading now, you can come and pray at this altar. You're going to pray for your own leaders in your life. Uh, come and pray for them. Um, you want to, you want to come talk to me? I'm actually going to stay down front this week. So I'll be down here if you need to come talk with me, need prayer for anything. But if you've never trusted in Jesus and you want to, you want to experience that, that image of God principle that we're talking about through faith and repentance, I'd love to walk you through how you can do that today as well. So I'm going to say a prayer and, uh, we're just going to sing this song, um, as a way to, to respond to the word of God today. Father, we thank you, uh, for your word. Uh, it's so true in every way and God I pray that today um, that God you would just make it come alive these truths that we talked about today God make them come alive in our lives God I know for me um, God I I pray that you help me to lead more effectively Uh, God especially among my neighbors and God those that I encounter in my community God help me to be focused on replication and cultivation Um, because God that's what leadership looks like for those of us who are in Christ Father, help us as a church to be a place where that's what's happening. Um, No coasting. Nobody going through life, but us all focused on the kingdom of God. Help us to do that through your spirit. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Guys, let's stand and sing.